This little light of mine. Welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we explore what happens when you teach a child that they are not allowed to love. Here's your host, James Powell. Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell, and I'm glad that you're able to join me for today's episode. Goodbye. All done. As I finally sit down to record this episode, I can feel the impact of what I'm about to share in my body. I have a massive knot in the lower right side of my neck. My breathing is shallow, and my thoughts are racing. I had Burger King for lunch, followed by a half bag of chips and a half tub of candy cane ice cream. And I've put off this record to do anything and everything else I could think of. I haven't considered starting to do my tax prep, and we're not even finished the year. But before I go further, I want to share that this is another explicit episode, and this part of my story contains content that may trigger some survivors. In today's episode, I will be talking about suicidal ideation and attempted suicide. This is a topic that nobody wants to talk about, but we desperately need to talk about. I'm dedicating this episode to all those who are struggling with mental health challenges and to the incredible services that the Trevor Project provides in the US and that Kids Help Phone provides in Canada to help support young LGBTQ2S plus lives. As always, I encourage all listeners to be gentle with yourselves, listen to your bodies, and to proceed with loving intent, knowing that it's okay to stop and or take breaks. And for some of you, you may need to skip this episode and that's okay. If you are a survivor of religious trauma, sexual abuse or assault, or you're a person facing mental health issues related to today's conversation, I strongly encourage you to be as gentle with yourself as possible and to reach out to a mental health professional that specializes in trauma. A safe place to start asking for help is at www.thetrevorproject.org in the US or www.thetrevorproject.org kidshelpphone.ca in Canada. There is no shame in asking for the help that you deserve. Sitting down to record this episode, I'm staring into the eyes of my own fear and shame. This is one topic that I haven't been comfortable sharing with anyone before this year, ever. For me, the shame is admitting to others that there have been times when I really was not okay. There have been times where I felt so overwhelmed and so alone that I thought it would be easier to erase myself. Times where I thought it would be easier to disappear than to share what was going on inside of me and to ask for that help I deserved. Despite all the work that I've done over my life to pretend that everything is okay, sharing about suicide is like admitting that there have been times where I felt like I was beyond repair. Times where I was as lost, as broken, and as full of sin as the leaders of the evangelical Christian movement said that all those who chose that same-sex attracted lifestyle were. My shame comes from admitting that there were times where I thought, maybe they're right. And in those times, thank God for Mariah Carey. Here's today's story episode called Goodbye. All done. Get ready for a smile on your face. It's just the right time. 
One of my favorite memories during my preteen and teenage years was poring over the Columbia House catalog and spending hours and hours sitting at the kitchen table agonizing over which 12 albums I would pick for a penny. Oddly enough, my parents weren't ultra strict when it came to music. Some of my church friends, well, their families were another story. They were on total Christian lockdown when it came to secular music and entertainment. For these protected souls, it was only Christian music artists. And when it came to movies, things got really extra. Let me run through how it worked at the home of one of my church friends. If we wanted to rent a movie at Tony's, it was a multi-day production. I actually think God invented the 48-hour rental from Blockbuster for children of Christian parents. Ready for this rundown? Step 1. We would have to get permission to rent the movie, and only movies rated F for family, G for general, or PG if we wanted to stretch it for parental guidance. We would get the pre-approval and move on to step 2. After selecting the movie and renting it, we had to provide the VHS copy to Tony's mom for her full inspection. Yeah, full inspection. The Motion Picture Association of America Rating Review Board, they had nothing on Mrs. Norsey. Step 3. Mrs. Norsey would watch the entire movie in total adult seclusion. With pen and paper in one hand, tethered remote in the other, she would watch the entire movie pausing at any swear word, inappropriate scene, or anything that she considered unbecoming for young and impressionable Christian minds. The time code for these sections would then be recorded onto her master control sheet. These time codes would be double-checked, cross-referenced, and confirmed for accuracy with another neutral adult. Well, I'm making that double-checking part up, I hope. Then we moved on to step four. After a night to pray over her decision to allow us to watch the movie, we would be handed the official master control sheet and given permission to watch the movie as long as we fast forwarded through the sections of offending content. All right, I wanna pause now for a little pop quiz. You ready? A mother gives a group of four 13-year-old boys a VHS along with a piece of paper that lists out the exact time codes where offending language, images, and content appeared. The mother then leaves the room so the boys can enjoy the movie. What do these boys do with the master control sheet and their movie? All right, has everyone written down their answers? Okay, hold them up to the screen. And you're all wrong. My friend Tony, who now happens to be a pastor, was the perfectly obedient child. Despite our constantly harassing him to fast forward directly to the offending time codes, Tony held steadfast, owned that tethered remote, and diligently fast forwarded through 30% of every movie that we ever rented. Now, I'm not saying that parental guidance and discernment are wrong. In fact, I believe that they're important and they're needed to raise children in our world today. What I am advocating for is a more balanced approach 
and a desire to start talking about the damage and trauma that occurs within the walls of our churches and within our Christian homes. Remembering this story reminds me of the many different religious prompts and warnings that we had that we are under constant surveillance or at the risk of an attack. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For there's a father up above and he's looking down with love. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Does anyone remember that song? Or what about be vigilant don't let your guard down. You must learn to discern in everything that you do. Those words, learn to discern, were seared into our minds. And what about the Christian body is your temple? It needs to be protected from the lurking and ever-present Satan who is looking for any way to infiltrate your mind so that he could gain control of your soul. Now getting back to the Columbia House catalog, as I would pour over those endless options, something would come alive inside of me. No longer was I this little Jimmy or Jim Powell. I was so much more. I would let my imagination run wild, and I would dream that I had the incredible, confident, and fabulous lives of any number of these music artists. I didn't have anyone in my life that I could share my fear, my pain and sadness, or my deep loneliness with. And yet, when I was with music, I almost felt safe. And part of me knows that it was my music and my imagination that kept me alive during this part of my life. For the first couple of years of high school, I was a paper boy, and that job gave me the perfect daily escape after school. No matter what had gone on during the day, no matter what I'd been subjected to, I could put on my headphones, pop a cassette tape into my Sony Walkman, load up my delivery bag, hop on my bike, and I transported myself into a private fantasy world far, far away. And as I listened to the words of Mariah Carey, Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul, New Kids on the Block, or En Vogue, I became them. Inside of the music, I gave myself permission to feel things deeply, to connect with the words and to let my guard down. Music became my meditation, and my medicine. With my headphones on, I was powerful. I was in control. I could make anything happen. It may sound silly, but these artists felt like they were my friends, and they were the only people in the world who knew who I really was. They were also the ones who held the vision of who I could become. Thank you, God, for Mariah Carey in her song, Anytime You Need a Friend, because she was my friend. And they say that God works in mysterious ways. And I now know that God used Mariah Carey to speak hope and love into my life at a time when I needed it the most. In the mid-1990s, it felt like I couldn't take a breath without being sucker punched by the topic of HIV and AIDS. I was so paranoid that whenever this topic would come up, I would think they were talking about me. AIDS was becoming the leading cause of death amongst all Americans 25 to 44. It was headline news on TV. Newspapers and tabloid magazines had it in every headline. Celebrities were attaching themselves to the cause every day. And the evangelical church and their 
media sources were smugly claiming that AIDS was God's wrath on sinning homosexuals for choosing to be deviant. And Tom Hanks, he'd won the Oscar for playing the role of a gay man dying of AIDS in the movie Philadelphia. The summer before I turned 17, I was working as a day camp counselor at our church summer day camp. This was also the first summer that I was allowed to skip out on our family vacation. While the rest of my family went to Vermont for vacation, I was allowed to stay home alone with access to a car for more than a week. This type of freedom was unheard of for me. And I was stunned that my parents even considered the option, let alone allowing me to do it. I remember getting excited at just thinking about this freedom. I would be able to do whatever I wanted. There would be no checking in, no need to get approval for my every move. There would be no monitoring of my ridiculously early 10 p.m. curfew. Yeah, even on church youth group nights. I wouldn't even have to lie and try to cover my tracks. When the week finally arrived, I had a packed agenda full of things I'd never do with my parents around. Top of the list? was inviting a big group of friends over for a pool party. I never really felt comfortable having friends over with my parents around, and looking back, I get it now. I was wearing too many different masks and juggling too many different roles and overlapping social groups. And at that time, I felt like that ran the risk of being outed or being exposed. Unfortunately, that pool party didn't exactly pan out. I started that week of freedom off with a cold, and I was exhausted from a full day of camp. Keeping a group of 10 to 12 kids between the ages of five to seven wasn't exactly the cakewalk that I thought it would be. So after postponing the pool party for a couple of days, I decided that the next best thing was to rent a movie and have a quiet night in. On my way home from camp, I dropped into a blockbuster and rented Philadelphia. I was curious to see what all the Oscar hype was about. And a bigger part of me, I wanted to see Tom Hanks play the role of a gay man. I'd never run the risk of even glancing at a gay title with my parents around, and it's not like this was one of the movies I could rent with my friends. So this was the perfect opportunity. I grabbed some comfort food from Burger King. Nearly 30 years later, these old habits still run strong, and I settled in for the night. But I was not prepared for what I was about to see. The rawness of the movie rocked me to my core. I was terrified. I had heard how bad HIV AIDS was, but I actually didn't really know anything about it, other than what I'd learned at church, that it was a gay disease and God's punishment on men who chose this sinful lifestyle. My sinful lifestyle. And as I watched Tom Hanks' character deteriorate through the movie, a sinking feeling began to grow inside my stomach. Seeing the body of Andrew Beckett ravaged from HIV AIDS, I convinced myself that this was already my fate. Maybe they're right. Maybe this is the only way God gets us to stop our sinning. Where did this cold come from? Could this be my punishment from God? Sitting alone in my living room, sniffling and coughing from a summer cold, I let my mind wander down a very dark path. God 
I've tried to stop you. You know how many times I've begged you to take these feelings away. But you're right. I am weak. I brought this on myself. I have been careless. I deserve this. As my mind began to speed up, I didn't know what to do, where to go, or how to stop the panic that was eating away at my insides. I cried myself to sleep, begging God for his forgiveness and praying that he cure my body from AIDS. As I cried and I prayed, I knew that there was no use. These prayers had never worked in the past. God had never taken my same-sex attraction away. God had never removed my desire or helped me to stop masturbating. I had lost hope. Waking up the next morning, I knew that nothing had changed. My cold was even worse, my head was throbbing, and I felt sick to my stomach. There was absolutely no one that I could ever talk to about what was going on or what I was going through. I had no choice but to shower, shove my terror deep down inside, get dressed, and force my way through the day at day camp. With my mind spinning non-stop, somewhere suddenly it hit me. I think I need to get tested. I remember overhearing or seeing a commercial or something about the need to get tested to find out and to confirm your HIV status. Then I remembered overhearing some girls at school talking about some sort of confidential sexual health clinic located near the food court at our local mall. They said it was the place where they would go to get birth control without running the risk of it ever getting back to their parents. And with that in my mind, I knew that I had to know now and that my mind wouldn't stop racing and my stomach wouldn't stop churning until I knew my fate. So during my lunch break, I drove to the mall I found the sexual health clinic, and somehow, I don't know where I got it from, but I found the courage to go in. I asked about testing, and was handed a bunch of forms. I was thankful to read that the test was completely confidential, but then I was confused. Why did they need my phone number? I don't have a phone number, I'm a kid. My parents have a phone number. We have a home phone with a different ring for the kids but it's still my home phone how is that confidential the request for that single piece of information spooked me enough to have me make a beeline for the door there was no way that i could risk writing down my home phone number driving back to day camp my anxiety was through the roof i could feel what i thought was my diseased blood pumping through my veins I started to cry, and I knew that I had no other options, none, and nobody I could talk to. Somehow, I made it through the rest of the day at camp, and on my way home, I returned the rental to Blockbuster, and I walked into the drugstore and looked for the aisle that sold sleeping pills. I was too scared to buy multiple packages at one store. So I drove around to three different locations before heading home. I knew that I needed to act quickly or I would chicken out. I grabbed a glass from the kitchen, headed up to my room, sat on my bed, 
and took all the pills out of the packaging and decided there was no other way. Mariah Carey's music box album was in my CD player. I hit play, skipped track one, and as Hero started to play, I started to swallow pills. Anytime You Need a Friend came on, I swallowed more pills. Music box came on, more pills. And then a sobbing rocked my body. There was something in Mariah's words that spoke deep into my core. I ran to the bathroom. I forced myself to throw up and realized I was too scared and too weak to even do this. Thank you for being with me through that and for giving me the opportunity to process and to share this difficult part of my story. That's the thing with trauma. You don't just get over it, pray it away, or give it over to God. Trauma is blocked emotional energy that is trapped inside of your body. You need to process it, and you need to feel it. So many of us who grew up in the evangelical church were taught to ignore, fear, deny, run from, and repress our emotions. We were taught that our emotions, our desires, our needs, and our wants were sinful and that they were evidence of our fallen nature. Feeling angry, selfish, or critical, that represented a rebellious or deviant spirit. When we felt fearful, worried, overwhelmed, anxious, helpless, hurt, or insecure, it meant that we didn't trust God. Being sad, depressed, lonely, or isolated meant that we weren't being thankful or grateful enough. Feeling powerful, passionate, and respected those were indicators that we might be full of pride. We were even discouraged from being too excited, energetic, sensuous, playful, creative, or even being too relaxed because these emotions could lead us to being out of control and open to an evil outside influence. So what were we left with? Hashtag blessed, humbled, peaceful, good, fine, and a huge helping of guilt that was supposed to keep us in line. But this isn't living. This is being a robot. It's being an automaton. Remember that movie Stepford Wives? That's what this kind of living looks like. We may have that plastic smile on the outside, but inside, we're not there. Our feelings, emotions, needs, and desires, those are our gifts from God. These are our unique inner resources that help us through life. They allow us to experience the joys and the sorrows of life. When we learn to love and accept ourselves, we also learn to use these gifts responsibly. What I've learned is that when I repress and deny my feelings and my knowing, I'm blocking my connection with God and I'm hurting myself and I'm hurting others. Another hard part of this healing journey is looking at that hurt that I've inflicted. And I want to thank Christine for the uncomfortable and much needed reminder that hurt people hurt people and the responsibility that I have for my actions, even when I'm hurting. So Sam, 
I'm really sorry for how I treated you and for the names that I called you while we were in high school. Nobody deserves to be treated that way. I've heard it said that suicide is the most selfish act that a person can commit. I don't agree. For me, drifting towards suicide happened because I wasn't being selfish enough. I cared more about what others thought about me than I thought about myself. I believed the lies that I was being taught about my being instead of trusting my knowing. At more than one point in my life, I thought it would be easier to leave this world than to feel my feelings, follow my God-given knowing, speak out against those that I considered to be in control, and to share my truth. And that's what this healing journey is about. I'm learning to let my light shine, and I'm using my voice to shift perceptions around what life is like living with a mental illness as a result of early childhood trauma from growing up in the evangelical church. 40% of LGBTQ youth in the U.S. considered attempting suicide in the past 12 months, with more than half of transgender and non-binary youth having seriously considered suicide. Those are 2020 numbers. And this is the one that really frightens me. LGBTQ kids who come from highly rejecting families, families like mine, from churches like mine, from religions like mine. These kids, they are 8.4 times more likely to have attempted suicide compared to their queer peers with low level or no family rejection. These are the church kids. These are the kids like me. These are the children that are sitting in our churches today. I started this episode off with a trigger warning since I was talking about suicide. And as I've recorded this episode, it hit me. Our non-affirming evangelical churches need to come with a large flashing neon warning sign to help protect our children. Here's what I think it should say. Warning. Bringing children under the age of 18 into this fundamentalist religious environment may cause unintentional yet fatal harm. Developmental trauma including altered and detrimental brain functioning along with compromised immune functioning may occur. Side effects including toxic shame, low self-worth, self-hate, addiction, anxiety, and depression which may lead to loss of life may occur. Children in high-risk groups, including all non-white children, females, and any that may be classified as LGBTQ2S+, are at an exponentially increased risk. For a full list of potential side effects, please see pages 10 to 14 in our service bulletin, or visit www.allarewelcome.com forward slash warning. Every single one of us has the opportunity and what I would argue the obligation to help make our world a safe and more loving place for all of our children. I'm hoping that my sharing might be a call to action for you. My intention in sharing so vulnerably is that it may impact others on a human level. The church has turned the lives of LGBTQ2S plus humans, the lives of non-white humans, and the lives of women into an ideological and partisan debate. 
Our lives have become political pawns. I'm asking that you tap into your God-given humanity. I'm asking that you might listen to your body, to your emotions, and to your knowing. Because very real humans are being hurt right now. They're being hurt because of man-made teachings, practices, rules, and regulations created by the church, not by God. Will you join me to bring more love into our world for all of us? I'm going to propose an action step. As we close out today's episode, I'm going to share a track called Vertrand that the artist Bleeding Raven shared with me. When I first heard this track, all my satanic warning signs were triggered. This was the type of music that we were taught in church to stay away from. And yet, Bleeding Raven's haunting and terrifying lyrics were created because of abuse from the church. His haunting and terrifying lyrics were a dark form of encouragement for today's episode. While you listen to his artistic cry, I encourage you to visit www.thetrevorproject.org to learn some more about the work that The Trevor Project does to help save young LGBTQ lives. They are a phenomenal organization that I personally support and one that saves LGBTQ2S plus lives every day. Here are some of Bleeding Raven's lyrics. Another broken soul dies young, so young. Another empty heart, goodbye, all done. So she quotes Leviticus, bad boy, devil boy, with evil toys, you Satan's concubine. Repent and be straight, or you're going down to hell. Maybe suicide? Who's gonna tell? Boy wanted help, instead he got scalped by a self-righteous witch, saying she's for the Lord. The hell she's proposed is the hell she'll know. Another broken soul dies young, so young. Another empty heart, goodbye, all done. These lyrics are so haunting and disturbing. And another solid reminder, we must stop this abuse. And I need your voice to help share this message. Stick around for an exclusive preview of Vertrand by Bleeding Raven. Thanks for listening to This Little Light of Mine. To learn more about our guests today and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Thank you for sharing your time and listening to our stories today. And we would love to hear your story too. Visit the Get Involved section of thislittlelightofmine.ca to share your voice. We love being in community with you and look forward to sharing more with you next time. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved. So, not young, so young.